Scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, and then Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis chapter 6, these are the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with the violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it in length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. And then verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded of him. And then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world, became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. You may be seated. 325 A.D. is of significance in the early church. It's the Council of Nicaea. This council firmly established that Jesus indeed was divine. And from it came the Nicene Creed that we often use in this church, confessing that Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God, a very God. You might say as you're confessing that, okay, I think I got it, I understand, but those fundamental truths were not always settled, nor are they ever. But Nicaea was a bold step in securing the truth for the church, that truth that needs to continually be secured as we make our foundation firm on the Word of God and the Word of God alone. But to think that there was smooth sailing in the church after Nicaea is not the reality. The Arian heresy that Jesus was a great man, the greatest of all men, but less than God, continued. But there was an early church father who stepped into the ring to continue the fight for the truth, and his name was Athanasius. He was the bishop of Alexandria in North Africa. And despite being the bishop for 45 years, almost half of his time was spent in exile. Not willingly, but forcefully. In fact, he was banished five times. Why? Well, because his teaching was inconvenient. Inconvenient for the church and for the Roman Empire at that time. And yet, he still remained committed to the truth. And for such, he was mocked and he was ridiculed. He was often called the black dwarf because of his small stature and the color of his skin being from North Africa. He was pressured by the emperor to restore Arius, the founder of the heresy, to the church. But yet he refused. And because of that, again and again, he was sent away, seemingly by his adversaries, to have a time for him to reconsider his teaching, reconsider his thinking, to have him come around to their point of view. And so he was exiled. That might be the fourth century version of being canceled today. And yet every time he stood firm with very little supports, oftentimes he stood alone almost all by himself. 
In fact, so much so, he was known as Athanasius Contramundum, which is Latin for Athanasius against the world. Now, that type of faith may seem radical, but what we see from our passage this morning is that that is the type of faith that is required to be a follower of God. Yes, Athanasius' circumstances may have been very unique to him, but he came from a long line of believers that walked contrary to the way of the world, that though pressure and persecution did not allow them to cave, even though the entire world be against them. That is what we see with Noah as we come to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Against all odds, against all reason and logic, against the culture that was opposed to him, Noah listened, obeyed, and trusted God more than the world. In so doing, he was saved along with his family from judgment. And through it, he demonstrates the pattern of faith. That faith that stands on the substance of God, the firm foundation of his word, even when it seems absolutely idiotic to do so. Why? Because it can do no other. The faith walk, therefore, becomes the foundation of his witness. And our faith walk becomes the foundation for our witness as well. We'll see that in two points. First, Noah's faith witness. And second, our faith witness. First, Noah's faith witness. Having looked to Abel and Enoch, we now come to a name that we are familiar with, at least by name, and that is of Noah. Before the time of Abraham, there was no one that was more significant than that of Noah. And yet, sadly, the story of Noah is relegated to a very good Sunday school story or perhaps a, a really bad Hollywood movie, but nothing more. What we know of Noah is that comes from that childhood song, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky, which is really sad if that is all that we know about Noah. Because Hebrews 11 teaches us that there is something much greater, much greater than he being the one that built this ark, he being the one that had the animals come. It is that he lived and walked by faith. The same faith, the same God that we are to live and walk therein. And so his life teaches us. His life points us the way. And like Abel, though Noah be dead, he still speaks. And so the Holy Spirit this morning, we would pray, would use his life, the life of Noah, to bring to bear upon our own heart and our own souls the true life walk, to walk by faith. And we pray that the Spirit would do exactly that. I want us to look at three aspects of Noah's faith and witness this morning. First, I want us to see that by faith, Noah heard God. We see that in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen. Noah heard the warning of God. This warning of things that yet were unseen, things that were yet in the future. 
And it's very significant to point out the context of these verses. If you go back with me to Genesis chapter 6 and begin looking at verse 5, it says this, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, what the author of Genesis is writing is that the wickedness of mankind that began in Genesis chapter 3 had had its full effect. That little sin of disobedience in the garden had affected the whole of mankind. And that little spark has now grown into a full-blown world fire. So much so that nothing is left untouched. And that is what we mean when we talk of total depravity. That sin has affected the heart and the mind and the soul and the body. All of life is affected. In fact, as we see in verse 6, it goes on to say, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, because it grieved him to his heart. Man's wickedness did not, does not come as a surprise to God, but that does not lessen the lament of God that we read in Genesis chapter 6, and rightfully so. Mankind, the chief of his creation, had utterly turned his back upon his creator to his own ruin and the ruin of his creation. And so God was going to bring judgment and just judgment at that. And all of mankind would be rightfully and fully judged. In fact, all of mankind would have been wiped out if it were not for that one small little verse. That very little promise that was made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That verse tells us that God, even though mankind was wicked, would preserve a godly seed for himself. But as we get to Genesis chapter 6, we see that that godly seed is down to essentially one As we read in verse 8, Noah, and we could say, and Noah alone, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And you should read that as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was not chosen because he was more righteous or, or better than anyone else, but rather because God is gracious to preserve a people unto himself and That people, in this case, that person, was Noah. Noah was that man. It was one man against everyone else. Noah was the only believer in God. Was his family believers in God? Well, they were believers enough in Noah to get on the ark with him, but we know nothing of their faith walk according to their relationship with God. The only one that we know had faith was Noah. And if you ever thought that our days were dark, that the 21st century is a time where there is moral perversion and no one is following God, well, we see from this passage that indeed there has been very dark days before. And yet, what is it that we see? In verses 11 through 13, that even though the earth was corrupt in God's sight, the earth was filled with violence, that God saw the earth, and behold, it was 
corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. We read this in verse 13. But God said to Noah, God spoke, and Noah listened. Noah's ear was tuned to the voice of God, not to the pundits, not to the talking heads, not to the popular opinions or conventional wisdom of the day or the various conspiracy theories that were going on, but to the Lord. And that is very significant because in the midst of this complete corruption, in the midst of all of these chaotic voices, in the midst of this terrible, turbulent time, Noah listened to God. And that leads us to a very practical application, a a very poignant question that I must ask. Who is it that has our ear? Who is it that we are listening to? Is it the so-called experts of the day? Because they have a microphone or TV show or a blog or a website. Or is it the Lord? Who is it that we are tuning into? Who is it that we are listening to? That doesn't mean that we should utterly turn out or tune out the world. But there ought to be a heart in us always that is saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because we know from the rest of Scripture that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. In other words, in dark days, we ought to be dialed into God, into his truth, into those that are preaching and teaching his truth. We ought to want to hear the voice of God all the more. Even as we see the day approaching, we are asking God speak for your servants are listening. And I say this in all honesty, that For most of us, we should get off social media. We should turn off Fox News and CNN and perhaps, yes, even the Internet. And we should go to a silent place and take your Bible and a journal. And don't get back on. And even when you do get back on, get back on sparingly until the Lord has your ear. That the voice of the Lord in his word would be louder than the voice of anyone in this world, would be louder than any other of the chaos. Indeed, Philippians chapter 4 says we are to set our mind on things above and not on earthly things. Surely the things of above are, are God and God's word given to us. That is the truth that we need to be setting our mind upon, not upon the noise of this day. That is truly the things of the earth. We need to take this to heart. By faith, Noah listened. Second, we see that by faith, Noah acted. Again, back in Hebrews 11, it says that he heard, he was warned, and therefore he constructed an ark of the saving of his household. Can you imagine this conversation that Noah and God had? Noah, I want you to construct an ark. Sure, but what is that, God? Oh, it is a giant boat. A boat that is going to be about a football field and a half long. That's going to be nearly five stories tall. This floating fortress would be about 450 feet long and almost 50 feet tall. 
Why so big, God? Well, it's going to save you and your family, as well as two of every animal on the earth, plus all of their food. What for? Well, I'm going to send a flood. A flood is coming. And so Noah, hearing this, must have thought, I am to make a giant boat in the middle of the desert because waters are coming to flood the entirety of it because these floodwaters are going to destroy all of the earth. And what is fascinating as a side note is that many commentators believe that up to this point, rain had never fallen from the sky. If that is true, if God had used another method for watering the earth, then Noah nor anyone else had ever seen a raindrop fall from the sky let alone a flood. And if that is not crazy enough, it becomes even that much more crazy when we understand that this constructing of the ark would take Noah 120 years. 120 years of your life, Noah, this is going to take from its beginning, from its inception all the way to its completion. Are you getting how insane this request is of God? How much Noah would need to walk by faith? And yet what is even perhaps even more insane than that is what we read in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6 when it says, Noah did this. And then Moses adds these words to almost emphasize the, emphasize the fact that you really don't understand he says, Noah did this. No, he did all that God commanded of him. Noah listened, and Noah believed, and Noah obeyed all that the Lord commanded. True faith leads to a faith walk. Faith leads to action. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but that faith never acts alone. It leads to a life change and a radical one at that. Noah didn't hear God and just say, well, that's great, God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord and go on his happy way. No, the word of the Lord changed his life. It changed his direction. It changed what he did from that day forward. And that is not only just true of Noah, that is true for all of us. That once we hear the word, that word changes us. It transforms us. And if we can hear the word of God week after week and not be changed by it, then we have not heard the word of God. If you can leave through those doors and not think another thought about what was said or what goes on in a worship service, then you have not truly heard from God. As one pastor often said when people would come up to him and say, great sermon, the pastor would say, well, it's tis only been preached. It is yet to be lived. And the point is that no great sermon is just that which is heard. It's a great sermon when it changes and transforms its people as the people go forth and, and live the Christian life in this dying generation in fact, we would say that the listening aspect is the easiest part. 
The challenging part is to, to go, is to act, it is to obey. And yet that is exactly what the Word of God must do. It must propel us forward, sometimes forcibly and uncomfortably. Because if you want an easy and convenient faith, then you do not know faith, my friends. If you want your faith to fit nicely within Sunday mornings, but to not go outside of that, then that is not faith at all. Faith is not defining the terms upon God. It's not saying to God, well, you can go this far, but no further. No, we are to say, God, my life is your life. My soul is your soul. I give you the entirety of who I am. I surrender my all to you. That is what it means to not only hear, but to act. Faith calls us to do both. Well, the third aspect of Noah's faith is as Noah's faith warned the world. Again, Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes from faith. Noah was a witness to the world of the coming judgment. Peter in 2 Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was a messenger, a preacher, a witness, both by his words and by his actions, making known to that generation of what the Lord was going to do, and he was living it out day after day after day by his actions for 120 years, and doing so in the midst of mocking and ridicule. No doubt he would have been the laughingstock of society, the butt of all jokes, the name-calling of animals calling. And yet with every plank and pig, Noah demonstrated his faith. With every pound of his mallet, he proclaimed by his word and his actions that I believe in God. I believe in God. Believing in what God had told him to do more than believing in what the world was telling him to do or what the world told him that he should believe or the things that he should think. And why was he willing to do all of this? Why was he willing to construct this massive ark for the purpose of the Lord? Well, we know the reason why Hebrews 11 tells us, says that he did it out of reverential fear. He feared God more than man. And yet, what did he gain from it? All those years of preaching and proclaiming and pounding. After 120 years, the fruit of his labor equated to seven souls plus himself and a bunch of smelly animals. That's it, he saved himself and his family and some animals and no more. All the while, people kept laughing. But they only kept laughing until the doors closed and the rain began to fall upon their heads. And then I wonder what fell harder. The rain or their tears due to the lack of repentance. Because in that moment... They were shown to be the true fools and that Noah was right. Noah was the righteous one. And yet it was too late. Millions 
went to a watery grave and an eternal damnation. Why? Because they walked by sight instead of faith. They believed themselves in the things of this earth more than the things of God or this crazy preacher of righteousness building an ark. Through it, we'd see our faith witness. You might hear this story and think that Noah is just a crazy story with no application for your life. That is where you are wrong, my friends. This has everything to do with us. Let's just begin where we start left off. How much do we desire the praises of men? How much do you enjoy the accolades of others? And if you say, not at all, I'm going to just stop you there and call you out on that one because we all do. We love the praises of men. But the question is, do we love the praises of men more than we love the praises of God? Because I tell you, as you grow in your faith and as you walk with the Lord, the things of this earth should grow less and less. They should diminish in your sight and in your affection and in your desires and your love for Christ should grow ever more. Because I tell you, the line in the sand is coming and is already here. When a choice is going to have to be made, and the question is, where are we going to stand? James tells it to us, puts it to us very bluntly in James chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, what James is saying and really the rest of Scripture is saying is that you cannot straddle between two kingdoms, between two kings. You cannot be one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. Jesus says that you are either for me or against me. There is no neutral ground. Just as they hated me, so they will hate you. And I tell you that the world indeed does not accept you. And that is something that we must get a little bit more accustomed to because, quite frankly, I don't think we are. That the world, your friends, your co-workers, your family that does not know the Lord thinks you are a fool. You might look at this story of Noah and think, yeah, I can understand why they would think he is a fool, but I, I am respectable in this world. No, if you follow the ways of Christ, then the world also sees you as a fool, a fool just like Noah was a fool in his day. And why is that? Because, well, you orient your life towards this God that is unseen. You follow the dictates of a book that is over 2,000 years old. You believe in a Jewish carpenter that died for you and rose from the dead. Don't you see that to this world that is all silliness to them? And if you proclaim that this Jewish carpenter is the God-man, that he is the way, the truth, and the only way of life, apart from him, there is only judgment that awaits. I tell you that this world hates that message. That is repugnant to them and intolerable. It goes against the grain of this culture. And the result is, yes, hostility and even hatred. 
But don't we see that that is the history of Christianity from the time of Abel and Noah until now. And so let us not think that we are immune to it. Because when that day comes, and as I said, I believe it's already here, don't think, well, wow, I wonder what I'm going to do. What choice am I going to make? No, the reality is that we should have made a million small choices along the way. A million million acts of obedience. A million opportunities of walking in the reverential fear of God rather than in the fear of men. Don't ask, what are we going to do then? What are you doing now? How are you living in this moment? Is your life demonstrated that you are founded upon the word and the world of God? Or are you founded upon this world and the things that this world teaches us? Listen, friends, we do not hate the world, nor are we against the world as if they are our enemies. No, we love the world and we serve the world just as Jesus loved us and served us while we were yet enemies. But don't be surprised when that love is not reciprocated because the war is not ultimately against us, it's against the Lord. But yet, we as servants of the Lord are to warn Just like Noah, we are to warn of a similar judgment that is to come. And many can laugh and many can scoff. And perhaps there's even some of you that are listening to me and say, oh, that's foolishness. That's not going to take place. That's not going to happen. Just let me remind you, my friends, they did the same thing in the days of Noah. But just as in the days of Noah, there is a way of salvation. There is a way of being set free, of not enduring this judgment that is upon you. It comes not by Noah, but by Christ. It comes not through an ark, but through a cross. And that is the way. The way of the cross is the only way of salvation. And that way is open to you right now. And so do not wait. Don't presume upon tomorrow or the next day. Jesus tells us that it will come as a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 talking about his second coming, the judgment that will come at the end of time when he returns to the earth. He says, well, it's going to be much like in the days of Noah. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That in the times of Noah, they were just carrying on like nothing was going to change and nothing was going to happen, even though they saw this giant ark constructed right before their sight. And yet, Jesus goes on to say, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You hear what it is saying, that you can't just ignore this. You can't just go on with life and think, well, I can just go on my happy way. And, oh, yeah, there might be a judgment. I can think about that tomorrow or next week or next year or 10 years from now. No, today, my friends, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, the judgment. But today is the day in order to be saved. 
And I say to our children and to our youth the same. Don't wait till later on in life because there is no guarantee that there may be a later on in your life or in the life of this world. Do you know how many children and youth died in the flood? I will tell you, all of them died. All of them died. All of them had their lives, we would say, cut short because they did not believe, they did not trust. And that is why what we do in this church, what we do in Sunday school and King's Kids on Wednesday night is of so vital importance. It is of the greatest importance that you would learn of Jesus, that you would learn of the way of salvation, that you would place your faith upon him. And that is not only for children, but that is for all, for the youngest to the very oldest, because there is a judgment that awaits. Some of you might say, well, this is a little too much judgment for me. This is a little too judgy. The God I know would never do such a thing as that. That may be true, but the true God, the God of Scripture, is kind enough to warn us of a judgment. Your God, a false God, may not judge, but the true God, the God of heaven and earth, will judge. But we should see that he gives opportunity for salvation, an opportunity to respond to the gospel message. In fact, every message from Genesis to Revelation all has this theme. And so we cannot say that we are unaware. We cannot say that we are ignorant of this. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm writing to you that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And yet Peter goes on to say, but they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the words that then existed was deluged with water and perish. But the same word of the heavens and the earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do you hear what Peter is saying? Do not be ignorant. Do not believe like those did in the day of Noah and even in Peter's day that were saying, well, where is this promise? It's never going to take place. We can carry on like we have and will. No, there is a day coming when the world will be judged, not by water, but by fire. But Peter then goes on to say, as we all do, that there is a graciousness of the Lord, that there is a long suffering he says that God is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is patient. God is gracious. God is long-suffering to have this message, this message of salvation to go out 
Just as he did in the days of Noah. And haven't we seen that in our story that God sent this man, a, a prophet in the name of Noah that preached for 120 years, gave them the opportunity to be saved. He built this ark as a visible display of the way of salvation long before the judgment came. And the same is true today. Yes, judgment is coming. We proclaim that. We make that known. But equally so, doubly so, we make known to you the way of salvation. The way of salvation while there is still time. And so we are to flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. He is the only refuge and the only hope for salvation. Many have looked at this church and this church building in particular and the architectural design of this church and they have said it looks like an ark if you've never seen it from that perspective you'll never look at it the same again and if so so be it our prayer is that god would use this ark would use this church would use the preaching from this pulpit for the saving of many souls in Christ Jesus, our Lord, not just random souls, your soul, my friends. Let us not be those that are condemned, but those that are saved, believe and walk by faith, walk by faith, even if we are the only ones that are doing so, even if we must stand against the world. May we do so on the basis of faith. May we walk by faith, faithfully on, trusting in the unseen God by whom we see all things. Amen. Join me in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly God, we thank you for this warning. Lord, we know, just like in the days of Noah, that there is judgment that is coming. And Lord, we are not unaware, we are not ignorant, and so let it not be a surprise to us. And the only way that it would not be a surprise to us is because we have placed our faith fully and wholly in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, the one that is the way, the truth, and the life, the one in which we are trusting with all of our hearts and with all of our souls for all of eternity. Lord, would you use this message and as many messages that we have to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, to save those that are lost, that they may come to you and be saved, that they would enter into the ark that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through it would they be saved from the wrath and fire that is yet to come. Lord, we are trusting and looking to you. Would you help us to walk in these days by faith and not by sight? For we pray it all in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.